All right, all right, all right. <clears throat> Let's get fired up here. Maximum freedom. Read. Stay on target. Maximum Stay on target. Maximum Read Rothbard. <laughs> yeah, boy. This is episode 44. It can be found at actualanarchy.com slash 44. And if you want to get in on this Patreon action, check us out at patreon.com slash readrothbard or our tip jar page at actualanarchy.com slash tip jar. All one word, no space. And you can find all the ways to get all the stuff. Y'all better? I am mostly recovered, still a little bit congested, but not as, not as bad as before. My wife is still kind of down and out. The kids got over it real quick, so that was good. Your hive larvae are the ones that brought it in, I assume. Probably, yeah. Um, not sure exactly how. I mean, we don't really get out a whole bunch. They don't go to government day camp uh, or anything mm-hmm. like that. So your children are unvaccinated, you monster. Yeah, don't uh, don't want to put the poisons in the kids, you know. Uh huh. And now Crazy. I'm gonna die from smallpox because you didn't do it, motherfucker. Yeah, now, I'm not totally opposed to the concept. We've had this conversation. We sure have. Neither am I. I'm not opposed to that. I'm just opposed to the force involved. We've gone down that whole uh, um, Rosemary's baby. What the fuck is that lady's name? Typhoid Mary. Typhoid Mary. (laughs) Yeah, the Walter Block argument. Like, yeah, you strap her down and you pump her full of drugs, man. We should ask him about that. We should. We should challenge him on that. Yeah, we'd be like, you're going to strap him down? And he'll just give us, like, this email that has, like, three words and then 52 citations. <laughs> of he'll just be like, libertarianism isn't, isn't a suicide pact, Daniel. And then he'll just say, like, I'm out. Yep. No, he, he's a good guy. I liked him. He carried that interview. He, he made it a lot better than I thought it was going to be. I mean, really, you just wind him up and let him go. Yeah, he's got, got plenty of material, that dude. If you ever want to have him on your show, have him on your show, and he'll just, he'll just go for however long you need. He's got lots of content. Yeah, he's written right? about a million things, a million peer-reviewed articles. He's got a depth of knowledge, a breadth, and a depth. I don't agree with him on everything, but, you know, he's a good guy. He's an ally. Yeah, and even you and I don't agree on everything. We agree, we agree yeah. on the important stuff. But I don't agree on the things you're wrong about, so, you know, which would make sense. I wouldn't want to agree with you on the things you are wrong about. Well, maybe I can change your mind. Though most of the things you don't agree with me on are things that I don't have an answer for. Which is most things. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> I just end up saying I don't know. <laughs> so we've got a guest coming up, and I gotta get him, get him our is this content. A repeat guest? I think it's a repeat guest. Right? Or we've been on his show before. Has he been He's, on this show before? Yeah, he has. Uh, Tombstone. Tombstone. Uh, yeah, number 26, so slash 26. Now, I do want to say that mm-hmm. but the whole mm-hmm. moving stuff around thing is brutal. Like this last episode, 43, the first they killed my father. Man, that was a tough one. I, I was moving chess pieces around, trying to make it make sense. And when I got the final sausage 
cranked out of that machine, it, it, it flowed okay, but then I kept hearing spots where I was like, oh, crap, I should have moved that section over to this other spot instead. It would have been so much better. It was that disjointed, huh? Because we just whipped around a lot or what? Well, we whipped around a lot, but we did most of our conversation about the movie before we started talking about the movie. <laughs> well, that's fine. You know, before really the Google fun. description, before the guest introduction. Mm-hmm. Kind of a mess. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I think there's a, a kinky wizard in, in the room. How do you know he's kinky? Is he into that weird shit? Is he a brony? <laughs> oh, shit. Not the bronies are the weirdest. I mean, fine. Live your life, man. Do what you want to do. I know that there's a brand new uh, My Little Pony movie out, so I'm sure he went and saw that already. Why do you think I would like My Little Pony? Well, isn't that what bronies do? I don't know. I, I just I'm I'm wondering what stereotype that puts me into that you would assume that. I hear that there are a lot of people that like it though, and that the core demographic is like 30 to to 50 year old men. So, dude, I'll tell you what. Like, I'm a huge like Japanese culture snob. Like, there's tons of American animation that I haven't seen because I just like American anim- animation is lame. And you're a snob. We have Kenny the snob wizard. That's right, Kenny the snob. <laughs> anime snob I think what do you think of that new uh, Netflix stuff they're doing some pretty decent anime aren't they uh, I haven't watched any of it yet but truthfully it does look pretty cool I'll, I'll check it out eventually but I've been really busy so I just have been keeping up with the series that I uh, have been watching for a long time I've been taking this class I think I mentioned it in the chat I've been taking this web development like boot camp or whatever and it's uh, so I'm I'm doing this stuff like probably 12 hours a day, you know, ten, eight hours in class and then another four at home. Like that's what I was doing before, right before I got on this call, I was like working on it. And then I glanced at the clock and I was like, oh shit, it's 10 o'clock. I need to set up. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we were, I was a little late and Robert and I were just chit-chatting a little bit. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you waited for me. <laughs> Yeah, so right. before we get any further, let's talk about the Google description because that's usually how we start out. And it says that Willow came out in 1988, fantasy drama, two hours and six minutes, 7.3 on the IMDb, and 48% on Rotten Tomatoes. Wow, that's, uh, that's pretty rough, man, the critics. Uh, 87% of Google users like it, and it says, Enter the world of Willow, journey to the far corners of your imagination, to a land of myth and magic, where dream and reality live side by side to a place that never existed, a time that never was. It is a world where a young man named Willow lives out an adventure that explodes beyond the boundaries of his own hopes and fears. And that's the end of the description, and that is a bizarre, bizarre description that sounds like a bunch of fantasy buzzwords, like I'm listening to corporate speak in some kind of a presentation. Right. Yeah, that didn't say anything about the plot or the other characters or anything. Yeah, buzzword, 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 (laughs) hopes and fears. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it, it's. I mean, it, when when I was watching it today, I was really thinking about it like in terms of character archetypes and things like that. And it really does have just like some really common fantasy tropes, like baby in the river, reluctant hero, you know, uh, brash swordsman. I mean, it, it, it's all there. It's just it's just really really well done, you know, in my mind at least. <laughs> and yes, it's got a lot of mind. cool lines. Less so on the screen. No, it, I'm sure it was fine for its time. I don't, I don't think the, the special effects held up at all. But maybe they look better on the screen. I don't know. Well, I mean, it not, 
I, I love. Mean, don't get me wrong. I love the stop motion two headed dragon thing. That thing yeah, is super I mean, cool. It, I remember that from childhood. It still is awesome. But the little uh, brownie guys did not look good at all. Oh, when when they were like claymation style. When they were on the screen at all, the brownies. They're played by the two guys. They look terrible. I don't know. I, I just. Know, I know the I brownies. Can't, I can't really accept uh, criticisms of an '80s movie about the quality of special effects. Like for the time, it's pretty on par. I mean, it was made by uh, Lucas Lucasfilms. <laughs> yeah, with Ron Howard, little Ronnie Howard doing this action. Yeah, get, get your Obi in there. I mean, what else do you need? Yeah, it's better. So, Kenny, why don't you just talk us through this at a very high level? What is the plot? What's the story here? And then well, we'll dig so, into some specifics. So, Willow is played by. Okay, so here here's the other thing that makes it out. Warwick Davis, who plays Willow, he he's in uh, Harry Potter, right? So there is that. He finds the baby of the prophecy in the river who's destined to destroy the evil queen. And he goes on an adventure in order to help the baby fulfill that destiny. And that's basically the, the whole point of the movie. You know, it's, he, he has the baby, he loses the baby, finds the baby again, loses the baby again, and then goes and rescues the baby and kills the bad queen. Right. I mean, that, it, it, I mean, it's not like uh, super complicated or anything. I don't know. I just I love uh, the quotable lines too. So, but at a high level, that's basically the plot. Did did the baby actually kill the queen? No, no. That's that's it. She the 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 baby just caused the queen to to destroy herself. Yeah. How did she die? She like got some blood on her, and then the blood killed her or something. Well, so she was trying to conduct a ritual to. Uh, take the baby's soul and put it into oblivion, which presumably is going to prevent her from being reincarnated or something like basically end this threat for all time. And so she was doing this ritual. And then essentially what happened is with uh, Shalindria's wand uh, as a catalyst, she like cast the ritual on herself. And so why, why was this baby called the princess? Well, because she was supposed to be the new ruler of Tiris Lean, um, a, a city that Badmorda destroyed. And, and eventually she does become the princess of Tiris Lean in, in reality. But yeah, it's like, it's like that. She's like the heir to, to this city. Even if she's born by just regular people? Is this like a Buddhist Dalai Lama situation where you're reincarnated? Yeah, in a- yeah okay. I, would say, I would think something very similar to that where, you know, in, in the course of time before Bad Morda, they, they would be looking for this baby to be raised as the new ruler, you know, whenever, whenever the old ruler is, is getting old. Okay, but you've, have you read the, the sequel? Yeah, I have, but it's been a really long time. Like, the, the only things I really clearly remember about it is that, like, Mad Mardigan and Sorsha, they, they, they bite it, so that was already a huge blow. Oh. And then uh, she gets raised by other people for, for a while and kind of um, sours a little bit. And, and then so part of, it, part of it is like her against herself, like trying to become a better person, Learn, learning from Willow, who, who goes and picks her back up later on after he's become like a super sorcerer. So he actually does get some, some powers, because in this movie, he struggles to use a wand and he can throw an acorn and he can kind of do a disappearing pig trick which is right yeah he, yeah exactly he does some sleight of hand and casts one spell <laughs> but he does have the uh, the gopher idea which is good i like that yeah 
Yeah, no, I mean, that's a, that was a really great part where they, they trick them into opening the gates. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, did not, I did not like that part. Thought that was lame. Daniel, coming in, throwing some shade on Willow. What do you got, Daniel? Well, I mean, they, we're, we're already at the end of the movie, and we haven't really talked too much about that at the beginning, but the whole idea of you're going to get all of these armed knights and, and their horses under these banners or under these blankets out in this field, and no one's going to notice that those blankets and things and, and mounds of stuff weren't there the day before seems really weird to me. Yeah. And, well, and also, it, it seems right? like... Uh, well, what I was going to say was, how did they have time for this? Because the ritual was already happening. <laughs> this is like right. the longest yeah, you're talking about, ritual you got, ever. You, you got no, it is a long Pharrell, ritual. Pharrell, right? what is her name? Who? That the Morton? wizard lady, the good wizard yeah. lady. Oh, uh, Rizelle. Yeah, you got Rizelle, man. She just made some holes with her wand powers. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. So like you said, we're, you know, skipping way ahead. You know, I, I really liked a lot of the cinematography too going through like when they're journeying out of the village they have a lot of really cool shots that are like give off the vibe of you know we're on a journey and this journey's taking time and going through the forest and everything and i thought it, that was a, a really cool montage and but even before that like there was one thing i was noticing that i thought was cool and that was like the political structure of the village so they have a high aldwin who I'm, I'm guessing is kind of not like a king, but more like a like a sage. You know, he doesn't like rule. Uh, you have absolute political power, but he's more like a like a counselor. And then they have kind of like a village council that uh, that the most powerful man in the village kind of dominates. Burglecut is, is his name. <laughs> yeah, the biggest tallest guy. Yeah, and, exactly. and richest guy who who Willa owes a debt to, so he's going to foreclose on his property if he doesn't like get enough uh, crops sold right so i mean there there's some i mean he's got it on the line no and so willow he plays my favorite archetype the reluctant hero like all along he doesn't want to do this <laughs> and then eventually like part of the movie and, and the story is him accepting his uh his destiny to be the protector of this uh princess and so yeah i mean it's just it's awesome it's yeah. really awesome yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I did appreciate. Go ahead, Daniel. Well, I was just going to say we've we've kind of got the um, like you said the reluctant hero, but it's almost like this uh, baby Jesus slash baby Moses story. I think yeah, it was Moses who's definitely Moses in the, in the river, and there the town and the town council are sort of mystical or mysticists in that they'll blame anything bad that happens, like uh, if the weather turns bad, they'll blame it on Willow for finding this kid for finding yeah. this baby. And uh, when, when they brought the baby in there and they heard the town council like over, you know, talking about whatever, they're like, oh, yeah, whoever caused this to happen, we're going to like string them up or something. Throw, throw them in the pit. And then yeah, they throw them in the, pit. in the pit. It's like in the pit, in the pit. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's like this mob rule, <laughs> uh, bloodthirsty little town. It seemed really. Yeah, this is a town that would definitely burn witches. Like she's a witch. Oh, yeah. No, I, I think so. I, I thought that that political structure was really interesting. <laughs> you know, and, and I imagine that, you know, that there have been a lot of times and places in history where, you know, this was maybe like a stylized version of, of how a town council might be in, uh, in, a, in, a, in a society that's really uh, superstitious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and seemingly bloodthirsty. I mean, they were looking for any excuse to kind of have that mob go out and, and throw the guy in the pit. Uh, one, one 
thing that I thought was pretty funny during that meeting with the town council was when Burglecut uh, was like, no, the best warrior, he shouldn't go. Yeah. <laughs> because we need him here to protect the village. And then the, the town elder was like, oh, and then this expedition needs a leader, Burglecut. The, the bones have told me you need to be the leader. And he's like, where's that warrior one? We want him to come too. Yes, Bonkar. He calls the Bonkar. It's great. It's a great shot too. It's like right onto his face. He turns and he's all sweaty faced. And, and he's like pleading. Oh, God, it's so good. Yeah. No, Burglecut, dude, he's troll dung. It's, it's horrible. He's really. And at the end, you know, skipping ahead a little bit to the very end, he, he gets pooped on by the by the bird that that Willow summons with his newfound magic. So that, that he got a fitting end, right? <laughs> his comeuppance, yeah. yeah. And then uh, skipping ahead uh, from the town council meeting where Burglecut ends up leading the expedition, then they come upon Mad Mardigan, and and their mission their mission is take this baby to other humans, right? Other yeah. whatever they're called. Uh, yeah. He, the, the elder said, find the first person you see, basically, and give him the baby. Right, and that's your mission. Yeah, yeah and baby. that's right, and I love that as a mission. I thought that that was perfect. I mean, you're, you got this little pack of hobbits that really, you don't give, like, the ring to this group of people. Like, you have the ultimate power of destruction in the universe, and you need to go take this into Mordor. No, you got this baby, and you just need to get rid of it. You need to find <laughs> the first person that you see and get rid of this thing, because we are not equipped to deal with the insanity and the powers that are at play in this world. I loved that humble mission for these humble people, and then Willow just gets kind of caught up all up in it. And I, I loved that part. Yeah, That was a I, very realistic part. Like, no, you don't, you're not going to call on this guy to save the world. You're just calling him to take out the garbage. That's all, he, that's all you would trust him with. But, of course, the story turns on, and he shows his belief in himself. And uh, it, the beginning, I thought, was the best part of this movie. And then, of course, the two-and-headed dragon thing. And then Mad Morgan, he's really good, too. But. Yeah, so let's talk about meeting Mad Mardigan. So he's up in this crow's nest cage, similar to the um, bait uh, naked woman in Mad Max Fury Road, but but a little bit different. And, and he's like encaged in this thing and, and dehydrated, demanding water, hoping for water. And he's sort of instigating infighting in this little group of hobbits. And uh, Yeah, that was another thing I really liked, is that everybody refers to these guys as a derogatory term. Peck. Yeah, peck. peck. Yeah. Get out of my way, peck. Get, you're useless. Everybody hates them. I mean, not necessarily hates them, but just, you know, doesn't see them as all that great. Yeah. No, I so, think that it was a way more realistic reaction than, than Hobbits in, uh, in Lord of the Rings, where they're all like, oh, little people, you know. <laughs> yeah. I imagine that, like, that's how it really would be, is that if you had a race of people that were diminutive in stature, you know, assuming that we're not in the modern world where we don't see, you know, anything, no physical attributes can, can be judged upon, but you know what I mean. Right. Oh, <laughs> I know. Not a special judge for a more of a realistic world. <laughs> yeah, it's however you're feeling right now, Kenny. Yeah. Yeah, I like it that it's not that everybody just hates them right off the bat and thinks they're trash and garbage. It's just, you know, you're in my way, little person. You're, you're kind of useless to me. I, I appreciated that. Yeah. No, it was cool. So we meet Mad Mardigan, and he's in the crow's cage. And we, they, we don't really get an explanation of why he's there, but uh, he's there left to die. Burglecut wants to give the baby to him. Willow, this is like where Willow starts to, starts to change his mind because he's got this reluctant hero. So he wants to do the right thing, but he also, he's like, yeah, I really want to, you know, get home. And so at first he resists, and then Burglecut and all the rest of the Nelwins leave him. And then... 
finally, after a huge army of people come by and no one will even talk to him except for one guy who's just like, no, we can't do anything. We're going, you know, we're going to fight a battle. Uh, he finally decides that he's going to give the baby to Mad Mardigan. Yeah, yeah. So, and my last choice. There you go. The only one who's still talking to him. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but if we get back up for just a second, I do like the scene where Burglecut decides that he's going to leave and he takes uh, the strong warrior with him and some of the other guys. And it's just Willow and his Sam. Yeah, I'm trying uh, to think of it now. It's uh, Migosh. Migosh, that's right. Uh, but but right before the other group leaves, Burglecut's like, are you challenging my authority? And Willow's like, yeah, when it comes to this baby, I am. And I thought that was really cool. And you know, that like was a little bit of an anarchist streak, a little bit of a ancapism there. Yeah. Not just blindly following uh, the guy's orders, even though he was the quote-unquote leader of the party. Right, and an idea of, of a little bit of decentralization of power, right? Like... Yeah, you're the leader of the expedition, but I, I'm the one that's in charge of taking care of this baby and making sure she's safe. Yeah, and, and he chose his own um, his own morality and his own decision-making over that of some authority that he knew was wrong, right? He knew that that, that Burgle Cut was, was not correct in, in what his order was. So disobeying an incorrect order, I think that's totally cool. Yeah, definitely. definitely. So... So we, we this is what so this is the first time he, he he doesn't lose the baby this time gives up the baby for Mad Mardigan, and then he and Migosh are on their way back to the village to come home triumphant and and then when they're on their way back uh, they find brownies who are I guess regular people but they're just like miniature miniature um, you know like yeah, ten like a twelve or something yeah yeah and 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 they have stolen the baby from Mad Mardigan. And then this is where Willow gets uh, Shalindria's wand and meets Shalindria. And, uh, and kind of like, this is the, the, when they kind of t- tell us what's going on, right? We know about who Alora Dannon is now. We know about, um, you know, what she's got to be the one that fights Bad Morta, which we kind of had an idea about before, but now it's like kind of all been spelled out for us. And then uh, Willow is sent back out on a new mission to take Shalindria's wand to the wizardress, uh, Rizel, uh, in order to, to, you know, kind of find his party, as it were, to, to fight Bav Morda. Yeah, so this is a good spot, as any, to start talking about Bav Morda just in general. Because she opens the film by imprisoning anyone who's pregnant yeah. because they might give birth to this prophesized child who has a mark on their arm that is the only person who could ever challenge her power and destroy her. And uh, so she goes through this uh, very totalitarian, authoritarian, and evil process of imprisoning all the pregnant women and then killing or being willing to kill the baby, right? Uh, and and the, when the child is born with the mark, the midwife, who is really the hero of this movie, escapes <laughs> with her, you know, gets out of the path of the wild dogs that are chasing her uh, for several months. Seems kind of bizarre, right? That it takes the dog several months to find her and finally kill her. But she's the one who, who helped Alora Dannon escape and then put her in the river. And Dab Morda is like this evil motherfucker mm-hmm. who, uh, there's, there's a line where she, someone's saying like that Dab Morda wants to be involved in everyone's lives and controlling everyone. And my comment to my wife was, wow, she sounds just like the government. Yeah. No, she, she is like the very idea of a totalitarian regime, you know, complete with, you know, thought police and loyalty tests and, 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 and everything. You know, they don't go into 
you know, detail about the political structure, but you certainly get that idea that, you know, there's probably a secret police <laughs> and all that that goes along with it that she's using to enforce, enforce her will and, and find out who the people who are uh, against her are and, and put them down hard. She has one general that they, that's a pretty big character in the movie, General Kale. And uh, he, he's off in the beginning of the movie, uh, you know, fighting, fighting some people for her to conquer more or quell a rebellion or something. And then eventually he comes back and starts helping with uh, the search for this, this baby. And he, he plays a pretty central role later on, but he's like uh, kind of the button man, goes out and, and does hatchet man, does the wet work for her. <laughs> Yeah, and he's, he's badass. He's, he's, he's the em- skull. He's the emperor, and he's Skull Vader. That's that's how I think of them. Could be. I mean, for real. I mean, he's got that awesome skull mask, and he's got like all the best quotable. Well, not all of them, but mo- a lot of the best quotable lines in this movie are from General Kale. <laughs> Give me one. Well, like she's like, okay, so when you first see him, he comes in. And then she's talking about, I need you to help Sorsha find this child. And he's like, the baby of the prophecy, the one who will destroy you. When we were kids, we were just all the time, like, it would, it would pop up. What, you know, you'd be like, is this such and such? And, and they'd be like, what, the baby of the prophecy? And it's just, it's so great. And then uh, what are some of the other ones? Uh, when they're sieging Tyrus Lean, he's like... Uh, got all the just the the one the one line commands that are just really quotable like Sorsha battering ram and they go out and they get a battering ram and then he comes in they bust in the door and they got the the giant uh, two headed dragon that you've taught said you know a little bit about and he's like kill the beast find the baby and <laughs> I, I mean it's just all these little things like we I mean maybe it's just my my in group when I was young but we were just all the time using these lines <laughs> to be, to be, uh, I mean, make references to Willow and then also right. a quotable in, in context where it made sense, but also was a, a, an illusion. So it's uh yeah, he, he's got a lot of them. Yeah. I was really surprised that my kids didn't freak out seeing the skull mask dude. Like it is super badass. I mean, that, that'd be like a creepy ass Halloween costume for, for anyone out there. <laughs> oh yeah, dude. General Kale would be an amazing costume. All so, right. Robert, so what's what the next thing you want to talk? Oh, okay. You got a question for me? Well, I was going to ask you what's what's the next thing that you got on your list. I've got four lines on my list. First, I've got a Hobbit and a Rogue. That's line number one. Line number two: If the baby dies, all hope for the future is lost. I didn't understand why she said that. I hated it because it's like it's like I, it was almost like oh, we need rulers and rulers are the only thing that can save us. Now, as a, if it was just a regular person, and like this person is the only person that can kill this terrible person, and then, okay, I'm totally on board with that. Fine. That's, I mean, I, I like the idea that, that what actually happens in the movie is that like she kind of kills herself, but Willow's kind of there, and it's kind of a team effort, and everybody's hating on this villainous monster because like, kind of organically you're fighting against this tyranny. So I thought that was a great message as opposed to, well, government comes in and saves us and then my other line was skull vader and then my last line is wicked witch of the west because <laughs> those are basically all i had i really didn't take notes for this movie i just uh i watched it a couple times and i was hoping that uh, you guys are going to carry this one <laughs> well when they get to the island with uh the sorceress Rizel, they they're captured by sorcia sorcia 
and General Kale, and, and they escape. And in the process of uh, escaping, oh, they have a, a couple of scenes where the romantic interest between Sorsha, the queen's daughter, and Mad Mardigan, and, and that has some pretty cool quotable lines, like Val Kilmer's uh, spouting poetry is a good one, where he's like, uh, you're my sun, my moon, my starlit sky, without you I dwell in darkness, and, and things like that. Well, he's and high then, on that on that dust, man. Yeah, he's high on the on the on the uh, on the brownies magic dust that uh, dust of broken hearts, and so yeah, it, it's crazy. And th- but see, and then it's funny. It's like later on, she's like, "Well, what happened? Uh, you know, you said you loved me." And he's like, "It went away," and she's like, "It went away." <laughs> I dwell in darkness without you, and it went away. And he's like, "Yep." <laughs> Fair point. And, Fair point. He, he didn't know that he was on dust, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he didn't know. Yeah, and he seemed to forget that he had said a lot of those things, but for some reason he still had this uh, inkling attraction to her. It was almost like a love-hate kind of a thing, especially when yeah. she had imprisoned him, and he's staring at her, and she's like, what are you looking at? And he says, your leg. I'd like to break it. <laughs> yeah. and, and then he, he pulls out his tombstone and says, uh, uh, I hate her. Yeah. He says that about Johnny Ringo, I think, in uh, Tombstone. Yeah. I'm sure of it. I hate him. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then they they have a little siege at Tiraslin. So they get to Tiraslin, which is supposed to be like the promised land. And it turns out that Bad Morda's already subjugated Tiraslin. And, and so they have a little siege where they try and fight off and, and keep the baby safe. Uh, General Kale comes in, finds the baby, and, and escapes while Mad Mardigan converts Sorsha through the magic power of his kiss. And together, they kill the two-headed dragon that was spawned from a troll that fell into a lake. You know, like like Robert was saying, the two-headed dragon, it's pretty cool, pretty cool uh, an, an, animation dragon, and Mad Mardigan jumps on him and, and uh, rams a sword through his head, and, it's, and then a head explodes. It's really pretty satisfying. And then we have the kind of to the standoff at the end with, with the final battle. Yeah, baby. And, it, uh, you know, it's kind of a fi- fantasy final battle. Mad Mardigan fights General Kale. Even though he takes some wounds, he eventually defeats him. And then Willow, uh, like we were saying at the beginning, Willow, with the help of Alora Dannon, gets the queen to cast the ritual that she had prepared to, to destroy the, the baby on herself. And then everybody lives happily ever after. Yeah, it is that kind of classic fantasy tale. Um, it, it, it's definitely of the older fantasy mold where you have the, the evil villain who's evil for no reason. I mean, maybe there's a reason, but we're not told what it is. Yeah. That's what we are. I don't know. Is, is it the case in any of the extended kind of materials? Why? No, no, they, no, it's she's just kind of generic evil. <laughs> I, I, I wouldn't even say generic, though. It's just like really, really concentrated concentrated evil you know there, there are some 80s villains that are that are kind of just like a little bit evil but mm-hmm. she, she's hardcore you know she's she's murdering babies imprisoning mothers uh you know casting evil spells tur- turning people into stone all, all sorts of uh of bad stuff yeah turning people into pigs yeah turning people into pigs that one was awesome right that's totally cool you know it, it's one of those movies that it it's may it's a lot more about entertainment than it is about a, a deep uh, moral theme or anything, you know. But it, it makes you feel good. It, it's got the good versus evil. You know, it, it is, it, I think that it's kind of unfortunate. Like, they don't really go into it a lot. 
but it's kind of unfortunate that the first thing they do when they overthrow the evil queen is like set up a new government. <laughs> and it, and it, and that's uh, that's a part that when I uh, was young I loved, but now I'm kind of like, oh man, you know, like they have this opportunity here, and what do we do? We're setting the stage for more evil in the future, <laughs> yeah. which you know, when you when you yeah when you read the when you read the books, as it turns out, like it, it is the cause of more evil in the future. Them setting up this uh, this kingdom where she's the princess and and Mad Mardigan and Sorsha are the protectors to help raise her and stuff. So, so yeah, that was good. But then you're ended on the last feel good, which is Willow is reunited with his love Kaya. And, uh, she, she just, you know, they melt into each other's arms. And then, like I was saying, he, he, uh, has some, some magic that he learned and he, and he conjures a bird and then the bird poops on burgle cut. So it, it, it's, you know, a satisfying ending. I thought that's a happy ending. I think is what they call that. Yep. Yeah. Very happy. It's like getting a one of those massages. <laughs> yeah, this is the classic kind of hero stories tale, very simply told, but um, it's got its own kind of tone to it, which I appreciated. Uh, the story, which I think I would summarize as basically the hero's tale. I, I think it's the story of Willow coming into his own and believing in himself and defeating, you know, uh, overwhelming odds with his wits. Not because this is a character who's very weak. You know, he's not going to win a fist fight with anybody but he outwits uh, people that are far more powerful than him. So I thought that was a really good, really good uh, kind of moral, I guess, if you want to call it, or a really good uh, yeah. theme or tale to set, tell that you don't have to be the biggest and the strongest to prevail in the end. Yeah, and, and even in the, in, in, among his own kind, he, he's not a, a big man. Like, I mean, so, yeah, and, and no, it is. And, and then in the end, you know, he's not taking any, any crap from Burglecut too, right? Like he overcomes the evil queen and then it also helps him to overcome his, his personal uh, bully. So, so it is uh, definitely a story a, about that. And, and as, as it's another aspect of it that I really, really love. So. But he still owes Burglecut money, right? Right. And, you know, if, if the if the term had come due, doesn't matter if he saved the world or not. Like, sorry, buddy, your farm's gone. It's not not my fault. That's, that's just how contract law works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm on board with that. Sorry. I mean, I, maybe I'd give you I'd give you, you know, some extra time because you did save the world and all. But uh, but I don't think Burglecut would be obligated to do that. And Burglecut's kind right. of like a bad guy. Like he, he's what I mean when I say like kind of low-key evil like Burglecut's not going out and murdering babies or anything but he's kind of a douche and he definitely uses his money and power to try and control people like that's what we see at the beginning and and so as it turns out he he doesn't lose his farm I think that there could be a scenario where he would and it would be legitimate although sad See, and then the, the market provides, though, right? Because if Burglecut is being such such a horrible person and the whole village is like, oh, give Willow some more time, you know, whatever, he saved the world, rescued, rescued the princess and all that, and Burglecut's like, no, well, presumably he would lose some business or, or at least some goodwill uh, over that, and, and so, you know, it might be bad for him later. Yeah, absolutely. He'd suffer the social consequences of acting that way without, you know, recognizing... Willow's contribution to his own survival. I mean, he technically saved everyone's life, so including Burblecut. Not that that makes Burblecut obligated, but yeah. But yeah, I mean, do you do you guys think that Burblecut was 
sort of the dig at the uh, Scrooge McDuck, like capitalist style person? Yeah, there's a lot of them in movies of this era, and, and it could be that, but I don't think they go go into it too much. But I, there's definitely that feel to it because you know they they kind of talk about how he he's the big man in town and owns a lot of land. But so yeah, I mean I, I could definitely see that. Yeah, and it just so happens to be that he's also a major douche, and he kind of like likes ordering people around. Yeah, I could see it as kind of a dig against that. Yeah, but I also saw him sort of as this uh, bureaucrat-style person as well. Like, he seemed to yeah. have a high position in the city council or town council, and I saw him abusing that power sort of like, you know, the jocks in high school who were kind of dumb would become, I don't know, prison guards or police officers or whatever. But there's this path that they can achieve this authority by putting a costume on and, <laughs> and right. a badge, right? Yeah, libido dominando, that's a real thing. I, I I have felt it in my life, but I recognized it as bad <laughs> and, and and counterproductive to what I want to do. Yeah. So was that that's the Latin for the lust to to dominate? Is that right? Yes, exactly. It's it's a phrase that Lou Rockwell likes to use, and and I like it. I think it's really good to describe how the people that become uh, get into positions of power. Happen, why why they do it right like they they do have a desire and, and they cloak it in all sorts of you know rationalizations like we all do anytime you know anytime you're doing something that you know is wrong you're rationalizing on how it's not wrong and how they do it is I'm, I'm sure some are just like oh i want power but i think a lot are like i want power to help others you know i want power so that i can show show people a better way to live and things like that Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. You're 100% right on that. They, everybody wants to be the hero of their own story, and they see themselves as the hero and wanting to make the world a better place, and they just don't see the unintended consequences. Right. They, you know. And it feels, yeah. and, and I think over time it feels good to be powerful, and so even if you start out with those good intentions, and, and you might even do good, you know, I think inevitably the, 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 the lust for the power and the lust to dominate, dominate people just overwhelms everything else. It, it stops being about wanting to help people, maybe even in their own mind, and becomes they just want to, you know, control people. And someone like Hillary Clinton is someone that I think has made that transition. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't imagine that Hillary Clinton is like, oh, I want to help people. You know, she certainly talks like that's the truth, but I think in her own mind, she just really wants to be powerful. <laughs> Not that I know her or no, I mean, I've never met her. I'm just, you know, this is just my impression. I could be yeah. totally wrong. I, I wouldn't want to meet her. She, she seems no, like that. that would be an incredibly unpleasant experience. Yeah, she, she's I don't know, would you want to meet Emperor Palpatine? Would you want to meet Bad Morda? You know, kind of. <laughs> yeah, maybe How one. I would like that, to but be, then you just take a bunch of showers afterwards. I would like to be a fly in the in on the wall uh, during during some some goings on for both Bad Mora, Morda and Hillary Clinton. Like I wouldn't want to ever be the subject of their attention. The malevolence that I'm sure you feel pouring over you would would be overwhelming. But have that directed at someone else, it would be certainly something to see. I mean, <laughs> yeah, you could really see it in uh, in the final scene with Bab Morta turning everyone into pigs. Oh, yeah. She was, she was getting off on that, and even her own daughter. Like, she was torturing her own daughter, and she was like, oh, kind of awesome. I'm yeah. really enjoying this. Yeah. I mean, she's a sick fuck. Yeah. No, and unfortunately, I think that when you have that high, high level of power, it's almost inevitable that you become that way. Yeah, we've got an article on the site that is Hayek, and it's why the worst get on top. 
and it's a chapter from The Road to Serfdom, which I'll put in our show notes page because it's it's really good. And I always point to it because it's my short summary is if there's a ring of power to grasp, then the worst people using the worst tactics are going to do whatever it takes to get that ring of power. And so having that ring of power is the problem for, for in my mind. Yeah. No, and, and what's sad about the modern world is that they've uh, civilized all of it, you know, so that it's not go out and subjugate the village in order to get the, the ring of power. You know, it's say the right things to the right people and get enough vote in order to get the ring of power. So it's all become really, really civilized, and we don't even, uh, we don't, like, all the underhanded tactics and everything, it's all going on behind closed doors, you know? It, it's well, not... and, and they've corrupted the language. So oh, yeah. they've changed everything to something else. You know, taxation is theft. Uh, <laughs> murder is war, you know, or war is murder or whatever. Like they just change it to something else and, and make it because it's a group of us. It's a collective of us. Then somehow the morality is different when the action is really the same. And this is something that Larkin likes to point out is, uh, especially when you're talking with somebody about these things, like use the very simple language of what it really is. Like taxation is, if I don't give the politicians the money, then someone in a blue uniform is going to come to my house and demand it. And if I don't give it to them, they're going to raise a gun to me. And if I raise a gun to defend myself, they're going to kill me. Yeah. So they, they say that it, maybe it's more like extortion, but I, I, I think taxation is theft is a way better motto. And truthfully, extortion is, is kind of like just a subset of theft, right? Like if we think about theft as the act of unlawfully taking something that doesn't belong to you, like obviously there, there's a lot of different ways you can go about it. You could rob somebody, right? You know, hold them at gunpoint. You can burgle somebody. You know, you can sneak in their house and steal something. Or you can say, give me money or I'll shoot you. I mean, so I guess maybe taxation is robbery. Like, maybe that makes sense. I don't know. But I like taxation is theft a lot. I, I, I think that it, it gets unfairly maligned as, like, too simplistic. But I, I think that it's really good. Yeah, I think there are Yeah, but of- I mean, all, all, like, slogan-type things are all going to be reductive. I mean, you're all simplistic about something. You can't contain every thought into a few lines like that. Yeah, there's only so much that fits on the bumper sticker. Right. Yeah, hard hard to, to make nuance, right? Right. All right, guys. So I have two more things I wanted to mention about Willow, the movie, and, and actually the character. And then we can uh, maybe start winding this down and perhaps go into some Kathleen Turner Overdrive for our Patreon peeps who pay us extra dollars to get extra content. Uh, so number one is that Willow, he, he's learning to trust in himself, like Robert, you were saying, and he's yep. been entrusted with the baby and, and he's been given this wand and he's trying to learn how to do things, right? He's practicing a skill and Rizel is, when he finds her, like this muskrat thing or, or some kind of a squirrel and he keeps trying to change her back into a human and he keeps failing every time he tries and this you know, goes over, of course, a half the movie. So he tries and he turns her into like a turtle and then he tries again, turns her into a goat, tries again, you know, a few minutes later or a few, you know, scenes later, turns into an ostrich, whatever. Uh-huh. And it's only at the very end, after he's done all this practice, he's dedicated to specializing in this skill, this very particular skill, and he doesn't give up and he keeps going, that he realizes at the very end that he does now have this skill that he's acquired. And he uses it to uh, help Laura Dannon force Bad Morta to, you know, cast the spell on herself. Also, he is a bit of a magician type in, in the non-magical sense. Yeah, like an like, illusionist. Illusionist, like yeah, the sleight of hand. And so they have the foreshadowing at the very beginning of the film where he's hiding the pig, 
uh, he does that same trick at the end, and Bab Morton's like, what? There's no way you have this power to make her go to a dimension that she can't be uh, harmed by me. You know, she's like totally flabbergasted by this. And part of that, I think, is throwing her off. Like, that, that causes her to start smashing her own altar, right? That's when all that yeah, blood exactly. and other things get spilled. So she's yeah. off her game at that point. And so that's kind of the point I wanted to make was that it's devoting a lot of effort and a lot of energy towards learning a valuable skill. It's going to take a lot of time to get good at something. And Willow puts in that time to get good at the thing and it works out for him in the end. So he, by the end of the movie, he really is a wizard. Yeah. All right. So that was my first topic. Um, my second topic is, and, and this gets in a little bit to the SJW-ness that's been going on in recent times because my wife has had to deal with this. So we have, we have two kids, and we do what's called baby wearing. And Willow does this in the film. He wears the Laura Dannon on him in like a carrier, like satchel yeah. type thing, and constantly carrying her, front carry, back carry, whatever. So there's this whole world of baby wrapping. I mean, when you're a parent, uh, it's something that you, once you get sucked into it, man, it's like you keep going. Uh, but lately, there's all these Facebook groups where these women get together and they swap wraps you know like oh i have this certain kind at this size and i want to sell it and trade it for someone else and so there's all this activity going on on facebook and whatnot well lately it's become a big deal that the concept of baby wearing may not have originated in the united states <laughs> with white people we're appropriating it <laughs> yeah it's a big fucking deal now and everyone's all upset about it everyone's up in arms about white people wearing their babies and calling that appropriation and so it's had a chilling effect on these Facebook groups because now a lot of people won't say anything. Like, oh, they're, they're afraid to, right? Uh, at the same time, there's all these, like, um, you know, pick, pick some, some quote-unquote victim class, right? There's a whatever pride, like, baby wears group, and they can say whatever they want. It doesn't matter. But if you're a white person, you can't. Now, I'm not trying to go, you know, Cantwell on this. I'm just saying that <laughs> there is a chilling effect. Because of the SJWism, it's meant to shut down people and make them feel bad about who they are for reasons beyond their control. And that's, that's why you've got to be unapologetic about this. You cannot apologize to these maniac psychos. Yeah, no, that's, that's the only thing that I've come up with, too, is like, you know, you offend them, you, maybe you misspeak. You know, it doesn't matter. Like, they, they read into something that you didn't say, that, you know, whatever. Like you just, you just, you can't backtrack though. You can't, you, you can't, I, and I'm not saying double down either. You know, it's just like it, when they, when they get into that mode, you just, you just have to say, you think what you think, I'll think what I think, you know? <laughs> and, and when uh, they, when you, when you apologize to them, oh, they love it. They feel so smug. Dude, that empowers like, them. That, 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 it that absolutely empowers them. Let, let me find the next thing I'm going to make you apologize over, you know? Yeah, like, it, <laughs> it, it reinforces their insane beliefs. It makes them think that they were right. Yeah, see, haha, you should have apologized. No, you shouldn't have. No, so, I mean, that, that, that's, a, that's a good topic. I mean, unless you, you go out of your way to be offensive, like you do the trolling thing like we were talking about earlier. Though I think even that is kind of okay in many respects. Like Milo, he was saying many things that would offend people, and he would intend to offend them. And they it just fell off his back, like water off a duck's back, most of it. Um, then they tried to nail him on some other bullshit uh thing he had said in the past about uh some kids right um and it was, was a that, his first sexual experience with mm -hmm. like a an adult and he yeah. said it was a positive thing sort of but yeah that whole, whatever yeah but i totally misconstrued and turned against him when there's like 
I don't even know who these people are, but there's some mainstream um, newscaster types or, or reporter types who are on TV and they say openly some really fucked up shit that's way worse than what uh, Milo ever said, and they get a free pass because they're progressives. I think Bill Maher was one of them. He was talking about uh, how some underage situation was like a good thing or, or was maybe it was like one of those teacher-student relationship things. He's like, oh, yeah, the students were probably happy about that. Oh, yeah, when they're like, yeah, when they're young men and they're having sex with an adult woman, the, the, the standards are, it's a double standard. Yeah. No, it, it definitely is. And I, I mean, I, I completely agree with you guys. It, it's, it's, it's really frustrating, too. Like, the, the cultural movements going on in 2017 are not very good for uh, middle-aged wizards. <laughs> That's why this is, I, I, I really see this more as a kind of a culture war. Um, like, who is it that um, says politics is downstream of culture? Was that Breitbart? Uh, yeah, Breitbart. I think he's fairly right about that. Um, and if we could make freedom cool again, as opposed to this left-wing authoritarianism, I, I think we'll be, have made a positive impact on the world. Yeah. Well, that's what we try to do with our show, and, and that's what you try to do with your show, Ken. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and, try, try and expose people to, uh, you know, a lot of different ideas within the liberty movement, you know, even people that I don't 100% agree with, try and get them on and hear their point of view and, you know, try, try and have an atmosphere where to encourage the open exchange of ideas and not trying to get anybody on what they're saying, you know, let everybody say their piece. You know, these, these kinds of things, unfortunately, are not super common, but I think we're, we're, we're bringing them back, right? <laughs> Right, yeah, and and uh, to your point and to the point we were just talking about with like parenting and whatnot, I think Steph's onto something where raising kids peacefully goes a long way towards alleviating a lot of the indoctrination that happens in government schools and um, with you know child abuse and whatnot. Uh, raising the kids to where they don't recognize when when they don't recognize authority as legitimate, like parents they have a certain degree of authority because you have responsibility for them and they're learning from you. But if they look at a government as like foreign, as like, this doesn't make any sense. Uh, I think that that goes a long way in changing the culture. And to that end, I wanted to mention that there's another site that we have started working with a little bit uh, called the Liberty com, And I, I yeah. recommend everyone check them out. They've got a whole bunch of resources, product reviews, homeschool stuff. I'm so pretty sure to... I've had, uh, had him on the show actually. Yeah. Sean. Yeah, right? Sean. Yeah. I think I've had Sean on the show. Yeah. So they're Fair super enough. good. So check out um, Kenny's show with them as well. We'll probably have them on at some point, but uh, the Liberty com. I just want to throw that out there because I was talking about the baby wearing thing. And oh yeah, he's doing great work. Yeah, no, I think that, that it's, I think that all of that is super important for us that that are it, in the liberty movement to you know band together, swap parenting tips, help each other out, learning on how to try and parent parent in a in a state filled world, parent free children in a state filled world. <laughs> so yeah, something so else. Um, oh, what, go ahead. Something no, else I was going to start. Sorry, do go it. Ahead. Do it, Kenny. Dude, no, do oh, it, Kenny. I was no, going to start I was no, I was too. And what I, what it was is we we started this thing with um, <clears throat> some other podcasters. Me, me and Dan and Robert are all part of this um, libertarianunion.com that we're doing. We, we haven't done a whole lot with it yet other than just, you know, aggregate a bunch of different people making podcasts. But I, I have this little copy that I wrote that I'm going to read if that's okay. Do it. Mm. All right. 
Love libertarian-themed podcasts? Is your listening cue dwindling daily? Look no further than libertarianunion.com. We are a loosely organized group of liberty-minded podcasts gathered together for your convenience. Listen to shows ranging from libertarian stances to movie reviews by libertarians to interviews with liberty-minded individuals. All the content you need to keep you educated and entertained. Go to libertarianunion.com today. So there's my little plug for for the Libertarian Union. (laughs) Well done, sir. Sounds hot. Yeah, I'm going to well, pull that, we, uh, that clip and pass it around uh, like a peace pipe, and everyone can uh, use it on their, on their shows as well. And we've yeah, got I did it for Tony, too. Yeah. Okay, awesome. No, I just, I'm saying we need to, you know, this is how we promote. You know, if we can cross-promote on everybody's show, you know, start getting our audience together, then everybody can be help, helping everybody out, and, and that's what I want. Yeah, and I'm just going to throw the list out there, and if, if uh, you listening audience have any other suggestions, hit us up at our uh, Facebook page or at emails or, or anywhere else and let us know who else needs to be added. But we've got our show, the Actual Anarchy Podcast. We've got Kenny's show, uh, and it's listed as the Wizardly Wisdom Podcast, but you can find it at libertariannerds.com. We also have Don't Waste Your Hate. Uh, we've got Foreign Policy Focus, Libertarianism for Normal People, Liberty Weekly, the ANCAP Barbershop, and uh, the Reed Rothbard podcast, our old stuff, and the Enemy of the State, which is Murray Rothbard Lectures. And uh, uh, there's over 388 different shows right now that you can, you can find and binge on for uh, probably at least a few good months, just constantly listening to libertarians talking about libertarian stuff at libertarianunion.com. Yes, yes, we love it. <laughs> so that's my plug. Uh, so let's get back to this movie and just wind it down and perhaps go into some Kathleen Turner Overdrive. This is our episode on Willow. You can find it at actualanarchy.com slash 44 with our guest, Kenny the Wizard. And uh, Kenny, we do a rating system here. Black and gold for super good movie. Black and red for super garbage movie. And black and gray for uh, not, not so sure. So let's get your uh, little short review and then your, uh, your rating, sir, please. Unless I just misgendered you. <laughs> How dare you assume? No, um, <clears throat> I, I think this probably black and black and gray. I mean, it, it, it for me personally, I love this movie, and it will always hold a special place in my heart. But it's not it's not breaking down any barriers. You know, it doesn't have like a great theme to you know a moral that that you're that you're coming away with, other than just like be entertained. If you enjoy fantasy stories, this is a really good one. I would say uh, among the best in the, in the '80s fantasy genre. And uh, but you know, as far as the you know entire library of movies there are to watch, you know there there are definitely way better ones out there. But for me personally, it, it would be you know 10 out of 10. But I think that if we're trying to have some sort of objective standard, then you know probably black and gray is what I would say. Well, Kenny, but value is subjective and can't be measured, and you can't do interpersonal comparisons of utility. So we just need your answer for you. My answer for me is, like, if there was, if there was something above black and gold, then that's what it would be. <laughs> All right, so it's black and diamonds or something, right? Yeah, yes, exactly. Carbon nanotubes and gold. Carbon na- nanotube impregnated gold, so it's, like, worth a lot and super strong. All right, I like that answer much better. So, Robert, what, what's your rating and, and summary review here? Yeah, so uh, this movie, it's, I, think, I think Kenny's right in that there aren't super strong like themes you don't get out of it. This isn't a movie I don't think you're going to be thinking about for a long time afterwards. It's really going to stick with you, like, oh, man, those themes are so heavy or whatever. I think it's, you know, it's like an hour and a half of popcorn entertainment, um, fantasy fun kind of adventure kind of a movie. 
Uh, it's got its funny moments. It's not like Kenny was saying. Um, for me, '80s fantasy probably peaked with Princess Bride. I think that's a movie that will stand the test of time. Yeah, uh, Willow sure. maybe a little bit, maybe maybe a little bit less so for me. I, I I didn't grow up with Willow as much as I grew up with Princess Bride. But um, I I'm going to give this movie a black and gold rating for the the individualism for the underdog hero who is taking on a realistic has a realistic goal in the beginning. <laughs> I really appreciated that a whole lot. And then it just so happened that he kind of bumbled into taking down this evil supervillain and but he used it with his wits. Um, and to Daniel's point where he practiced and he really trained with the thing, and this is a thing he really wanted to do. He really wanted to be a wizard, and he wanted to take care of this baby, and I, I really appreciate it. I'm a sucker for anybody that really has a goal, and they work hard, and they strive, and they work to achieve it, and then they achieve it. I, I love that. Um, so you see it in movies all the time, and every time it happens, I, I appreciate it. So uh, for me, yeah, black and gold. Daniel? All right, so to quote James Carville in Old School after Will Ferrell delivers a response in the debate, that was perfect. Yeah, I don't have much more to add. I mean, Robert, you said just about everything that I wanted to say, but I'm going to go super black and gold on this one um, for for several reasons. Number one is that we got to have Kenny the Wizard back. Number two is that it's another Val Kilmer feather in our cap, and that we might have a few more coming up. Uh, It's really surprising to me how many movies he was in that really still resonate and are worth going back to watch. I mean, you've got Tombstone, like we've already talked about. You've got this movie, Willow. We've got Top Gun. He's huge in that. Um, yeah. Heat's, a, mm. Heat's a very good movie. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, have you guys seen The Saint? Uh, yeah, I've seen it. Not, not in a long time, but I have seen it. That was another that was one. Like, I, I was a big fan of like a Mission Impossible kind of a deal thing? Yeah, it's, it's based on a um, Roger Moore television series where a guy yeah it's kind of like a mission impossible but the the gimmick is that the guy pretends to be catholic saints like he names all Mm. of his personas after catholic saints because he went to catholic school and and all this that and the other and so uh i i found it really enjoyable so yeah i'm val kilmer all the way I, i love him yeah, and so that that's a little prelude for our next episode, which uh, is looking like it's going to be another Val Kilmer flick, The Ghost in the Darkness. Oh, my gosh. That one is good. Oh, shit. That's the one where he plays the, the engineer building the bridge, right, in, in Africa? Yeah, and then there's the man-eating lions that yes. are messing up with their, their whole system there. Yeah. That'll, that'll be a really good one. Who do, who do you have for that? Uh, we've got... Uh, uh, the guy from Living Country in the City. He's got a podcast and a website. Oh, yeah. I, I've seen him around. Um, I haven't really looked at his stuff very much because I'm not I, – I live in the country, so I don't need to <laughs> – yeah, I live in a small town. I have family in the country. Like, I don't, I don't need a podcast about it. I, I live it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's super good stuff, and uh, he's a good guy. We've been chatting for um, a few months now about getting a, a show together, and so we're, we're happy to have him. He actually had a uh, hunting accident recently, and he's going in for surgery. Oh, man. And it's on his knees, so you know, not like life-threatening or anything. But uh, he was saying, hey, you know, I'm going to be laid up for, for a little while, so uh, I've got time to do a show now because I'm not going to be out hunting. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. I, he seems like a cool guy. Yeah, so we're really looking forward to that. So that's going to be our next episode, The Ghost in the Darkness. And um, this episode was Willow with Kenny the Wizard, LibertarianNerds.com, does the Wizardly Wisdom podcast. Kenny, tell them a little bit about um, where they can find more of your stuff and maybe just a, a brief, you know, what's your show about? Sure. 
Um, you know, he, he said libertarianers.com before the show. If you're a secret listener, uh, super, super Patreon sponsor, you'll know that I've been slacking. So that, that content hasn't been updated super regularly, but I've switched recently from SoundCloud to Libsyn. So you can go to wizardlywisdom.libsyn.com to find all the most recent episodes. And, and I, I've had a lot of good ones recently, uh, had Nick Sarwark, uh, chairman of the Libertarian Party, had Adam Kokesh, had Larry Sharp, uh, Walter Block, you know, so, so I've, I've been busy bee somewhat and uh, gotten some good interviews. And, and really, you know, my show's about a couple of things. You know, I like to talk about the nerdy stuff. I have an episode about Rick and Morty. Uh, you know, I have episodes about Star Wars and stuff like that. And then I also like to talk about libertarianism, so I also do interviews with libertarian thinkers. You know, and, and li- like I was uh, saying earlier in the, in the pre-show, is I, I really try and keep it uh, nice and, and cordial and civil. You know, I don't necessarily agree with every person that I have on, but it's good to have that platform for us to discuss the ideas. I mean, I think maybe my most recent one with Nicholas Sarwark is someone that I probably disagree with the most that's been on the show. And we still managed to have a very nice civil conversation, even make some jokes and stuff. So, I mean, it, that, that's kind of what I'm all about is trying to, trying to get closer to the truth a little bit at the time, have a little fun doing it. And uh, and also give a platform to people to be able to to say say what they want to say, speaking complete thoughts, <laughs> you know. So so yeah, I, th- I think that's what I would say about it. All right, very yeah, good. Yeah, one and thing I'll... I love about I love about podcasts is that you really get to have that long form conversation. You don't just talk in sound bites like you see in the news. That, that's a good point, Robert. And and uh, I just wanted to add to Kenny. Um, they can also find your stuff at libertarianunion.com, right. and there's a little category search where you can put in the Wizardly Wisdom podcast, and all of your most current stuff shows up on there. I can see episode 36 here for Nick Sarwark, and we've got a little description about uh, your show and everything. So yeah, did you pull that from my website? You're like so high speed. <laughs> I you done really did that. are. Yeah, no that. That, that's the description from the website, and uh, yeah, and it's really good. I, I will, you know, anybody that's wondering about who I am and what I'm about, like I have kind of a fictionalized stylistic uh, semi-biography of myself on the website as well. So why, why I do what I do and, you know, and, and why do I take the angle that I take? So, you know, if, if anybody's interested, that's there for them too. All right, and that's at uh, libertariannerds.com. They can find that one. Yes. And, you know, since, you, since you've put me on the spot while, you know, promoting it, then we're going to have to do some updates. Definitely get the podcast episodes updated. And, you know, another good thing about LibertarianNerds.com is that we also do uh, video game reviews and, and stuff like that. So there's, there's a lot of cool content. My, my friend uh, Darian, he, he does the, a lot of the reviews, and he, he does really good reviews. So if you're a, a video game guy, like... I would definitely check check out his reviews because he he does a really good job of doing what I would say fair reviews that are you know entertaining to read. So a uh, little plug for him. All right, and that's at uh, libertarianerds.com, right? Yep. All right. Well, very good. Well, hey guys, I just want to uh, uh, wind this one down. We're going to go into maybe some Kathleen Turner Overdrive. Uh, any last thoughts from you, Robert, before we do that? Nah, I just want to thank our guests for coming on. It's always a pleasure to have them. Um, is this uh, was it intentional that we've had them on twice for two Val Kilmer movies? Is this a thing, or is this just happenstance? I think he's got a, a hard on for uh, Val Kilmer there. Okay. Well, don't we all? All right. <laughs> 
Okay. Kenny will have you back, and, and maybe it'll be the Heat or uh, the Saint or something like yeah. that. I was going to say the Saint would be one for sure. <laughs> Great. All right, we'll do it. Well, hey, that's all the time we have for this show, episode 44 of the Actual Anarchy podcast. You can find it at actualanarchy.com slash 44. If you like what we do, to check out our tip jar page at actualanarchy.com slash tip jar. There's a bunch of ways you can support us. You can click on Amazon links and buy stuff. There's uh, the Voodoo links. There's uh, readitfor.me links and a slew of other things that uh, we support and endorse because we like them and we hope you like them too. And we might make a shekel or three. But uh, I'm just going to say good night, and uh, we might go into some Kathleen Turner Overdrive. So peace out, homies. Peace out. Yeah, see ya. Chipmunks. C H I P M U N K. We're the chipmunks. Guaranteed to brighten your day. Do 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 do